Hello and welcome to Supervision Smorgasbord, a podcast full of tips, tricks, and interviews with experts to help you enjoy being a supervisor. Here's your host, Dr. Tara Sanderson. And welcome to Supervision Smorgasbord, a podcast about the clinical supervision strategies that will make your life as a supervisor easier and more fun. I'm your host, Dr. Tara Sanderson, a licensed psychologist, group practice owner, and supervisor in the wonderful state of Oregon. Thanks for joining me today. We are talking with Shannon Hears of Firelight Supervision. Shannon and I met through the group practice exchange and shared an instant bond over supervision. I was so excited to learn about Shannon's most recent business development, Firelight Supervision. But before we jump into everything supervision, let me share with you a little bit more about Shannon. Shannon owns not only Firelight Supervision, but a counseling office called Catalyst Counseling located in Colorado. She specializes in providing clinical supervision to both beginners and advanced therapists and is passionate about burnout prevention in the counseling field. And with that, I feel like we just opened up a whole new can of things that we can talk about. Because did you know that I wrote my dissertation on burnout in residential treatment staff? Oh, excellent. Oh my gosh, it happens. I've worked in residential care before, and that is like the prime recipe for burnout doing no that type of work. kidding. Absolutely. So super exciting. I can't wait to dive into all things with you. But before that, I always ask my guests an interesting off-the-cuff question, and here's yours. If you had a superpower, what would it be and why? Oh my goodness. That is a good question. I I just kind of feel like I don't have a whole lot of interesting things about me. Um, and so in terms of a superpower, I would say it would be some sort of like vision, like maybe like, like future vision or something like that. And I'm talking kind of professionally because I really enjoy kind of identifying trends that we're seeing, you know, maybe in our field and then, okay, so what can we, how can we solve those issues that the trends are coming up with? Um, So I would say, you know, future, future vision, I guess would be my my superpower. Oh my gosh. I'm totally envisioning in my head, like you having this like foresight, not quite like, um, like, telling the future completely, but being able to go like, okay, if this is the trend, like I'm watching it kind of unfold in the future of where do we need to go? What do we need to have? How can we bring that forward? Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely very big picture thinking, which can be a superpower, but uh, as you know, can also be a big challenge at times. (laughs) Yes, every superpower has a negative side for sure, for sure. All right. Well, Shannon, I'm so glad that you're here and I'm so glad that you agreed to chat with me today. And I can't wait to hear more about all things supervision. I sent you a little list of questions. You sent me a little list of questions. So I figure we'll just kind of roll with it and see where we end up. Um, So the first question that I had for you was what is your kind of go-to answer for how supervisees can prepare for supervision? I think that just the word preparing for supervision is a concept that has to be learned. I remember when I first started out and some of my, you know, this kind of doesn't say a lot lot about me as a, a new clinical supervisor, but I had supervisees coming into supervision going, I don't have anything to talk about. I was like, are you sure? 
because you're working full time with a really tough population. And how do you not have anything to talk about? So I remember actually someone came in and said that. And I was like, okay, well, I'll see you next week then. And they were like, wait, wait, what? I don't get this hour with you just a chit chat. I was like, no, you know, (laughs) it is your role to come into supervision prepared. With that being said, I do think it, you know, as a clinical supervisor, we need to set that expectation too. And I didn't always do that in the beginning. Um, so I always tell my supervisees in the beginning, like, Hey, this is your hour and your time, but here's the expectation about what I want you to come in with. You can come in with X number of case presentations. We, you can talk about a a clinical, you know, issue or problem. We can talk about different theoretical modalities. We can talk about how some of your personal stuff, you know, maybe impacting, your therapeutic work without, of course, going into counseling, but I kind of give a list of, of things that they can come prepared with. Yeah. And then it's up to them to come, come in with that information. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, hit the nail on the head of it. It is something that needs to be taught of how to come into supervision because I think I think at the beginning there's so many like logistical questions for supervisees. They're like, well, did I do this note right? Or wait, what am I supposed to do about this billing thing or whatever? And so it feels like they have a lot of questions, so they kind of fill the space. But then when it starts getting into they get into a rhythm of those pieces, they end up with this this dead space of like, well, what am I supposed to tell you about my clients? Our sessions are supposed to be kind of, you know, private for this client. So what do I tell you and how do I do these pieces and kind of pulling all of those parts together. So preparing them with like, here's a list of things to think about when you come to supervision. Do you have an ethical question that has come up over the week? Do you want to talk about how this whole world of uh, working with clients is impacting your personal life, is impacting how you sleep at night? Um, You know, how are you putting those stories on the shelf so that you can live the rest of your life outside of here? And then, you know, what does a case presentation look like? How do we want to communicate about our clients? I find that in that first phase of getting to know a a supervisee, giving them a really tight structure of like, I want you, when you tell me about a client, I want you to tell me their first name, their age, their pronouns, any cultural or or, um, dynamics that I need to know about, and then a little bit about them. And then what question you have about working with them or what your need is. Do you just need to tell me because we're going through your client list? Do you have a particular question or you know is there an intervention that you need what is it that you want to come out of presenting this person to me today and whether that's a little tiny bit of presentation or a long one like that's kind of the format I want and then we kind of roll with it further Yes, exactly. And I even provide them with like a case presentation form. And I say, in the beginning, we're going to be very formal with this. I want you to hit all of these points until you get a little bit more experienced and you know what's important and what maybe you don't have to bring up in the beginning. So I actually have two different formats. I have kind of a longer one when we're going to go more in depth to cases. And then I have like a quick five minute um, case presentation that I give to people um, who come to the group supervisions. Mm -hmm. Because as you know, group supervision, everyone might want to present a case. You just need to be a little bit more succinct with that information. Um, You know, and I also think you're right, um, Tara, when you're talking about asking the pertinent question. And I just, I learned this lesson so clearly from my own clinical supervisor. I would present a case and they'd be like, okay, what's your question? And then I think back, I was like, okay, what is my question? Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, he just continued to say, okay, what's your question? What's your question? Um, and so I learned very quickly <laughs> that I really needed to have my yes. ducks in a row when I came into supervision about that. And that's some of the same thing. I, I made my style is not quite as direct with my supervisees. It certainly worked for me. Um, but I too do tend to ask like, okay, now that you've said this, I have a lot of questions, but what's your question for me? Yeah, I find that to be so useful. I am like as a as a supervisor, I'm I would put myself in the camp of like a resource giver. I like to like have my little toolbox and like as they're saying something, I'm like, oh, I have something for that. Let me just throw these tools at you. And as I have worked with more and more supervisees, I have found that like some of my people don't need a resource at that moment. They need me to help them conceptualize or they want to just kind of speak it out into the world so that they can like adjust it themselves and figure out what their question is or, you know, go through whatever process they go through. And by asking that, by asking them to kind of put it in that format of like, what's your question here? Do you need a resource? Like what, what is, what is it that you want? They are able to help us navigate the space in a way that is most effective for them because it's not about me in the super vision space as much as I'd love to be like known for all of the tools in my tool basket like it's not about me in that spot exactly and sometimes that just requires us holding ourselves back as supervisors because you know as someone's presenting in case you're like ooh, there's an issue I want to talk about ooh, or ooh, I think you're missing something or you know there's all these thoughts that you just have and you're right it's it's kind of holding yourself back as a supervisor and saying what is going to be the most helpful to the supervisee at this moment and sometimes we have to trust that they know that question sometimes Sometimes they don't, and it's okay for us, you know, after they ask the question for us to include, oh, and I noticed you missed that, and I noticed that information also. But I'm a strong proponent, it sounds like just like you, in, in having the supervisee really drive some of that process. I also feel like that really deepens the supervisory relationship, and yes. that's the way that learning occurs, yes. you know. Just, you know, really just mimics, as you know, the client therapist relationship, Um, you know, the healing and therapy comes primarily from the relationship. Well, the learning and supervision comes primarily from the supervisory relationship. And if you're not really as a supervisor, if you're not really, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, If you're not really um, deliberate about kind of creating that and nurturing that, especially in the beginning, then there's going to be issues. You know, there's going to, your supervisee may not be, come to you with all the, the things. They may not feel open and able to be open and vulnerable, you know, in the supervision. So um, I feel like I got a little off track, but but I do think that all of this work that you're doing in the beginning of someone's supervision is really helping to cement that supervisory relationship. Absolutely. Yeah, you're setting the stage for this growth process for for the for the supervisee. And that for growth process, I think you can you can do a lot of work to help them understand that this is also mimicking what we do in our therapy stuff, like the developmental process of us getting into the structure. And this is how this works and helping the client even understand that. And then you move into some of the, the harder work of really understanding and pulling things apart and figuring out all of the balance. And then you sometimes plateau where where they walk in and say, I don't know what to talk about today. Or, or they say like, yeah, things are going really well. So now I want to like figure out my next steps for how I grow next from here. And you just kind of keep going through the process. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because there does come a time in the the process of supervision with with each supervisee as you're doing individual work. Group work looks a little different, of course. You have the group dynamics and all of that. But when you're doing individual work, there does come a time when, exactly as you said, they're like, okay, I think I kind of know what I'm doing now. I'm feeling more comfortable and more confident. How can I continue to get the most out of supervision. And that's really our cue, either when they're saying that or when we're noticing that. It's our cue as supervisors to, okay, how do we deepen our supervision relationship? How do we work on the process a little bit more? And then that's going to help you become a better therapist in your sessions too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. If you were going to give some tips to new supervisors, um, what about like, how to be a good supervisor or things to look out for. What kind of tips do you give? I think the best tip I would give new supervisors is if you haven't had good clinical supervision yourself, it's going to be really hard to become a good clinical supervisor. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that is just kind of the overarching, like, Hey, get your own clinical supervision and don't stop when you get licensed. And especially once you become a new clinical supervisor, continue to get either, you know, clinical consultation or supervision of your supervision, which is kind of a newer service that's Mm -hmm. out there that a lot of people don't realize that is actually a thing, but it is. (laughs) There are some supervisors who are trained in giving supervision to other people, just like with their, you know, as a new supervisor, you all, you want to be trained in providing supervision to therapists. So you don't want to just jump into supervision if you're just an excellent therapist. Like some of those skills are transferable, but not all of them. You want to make sure you're getting the appropriate training, you know, and different states have different requirements for you to be a supervisor. Some have really stringent ones, which I think is really good. And some don't have any, which is a little bit concerning. (laughs) Um, But I also know that like, a lot of people are thrown into supervision, clinical supervisor roles when they don't have any training or experience. I think the Mm -hmm. day I got my license, I became a clinical supervisor at our agency, you know, and luckily I had all, I had gotten good clinical supervision. So I was able to transfer some of those skills, but I didn't have the training. I didn't have the experience. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are resonating with this. Oh yeah. I was put into a supervisory role and I didn't have any support. I didn't know what I was doing. I just kind of figured it out. Yeah. And a lot of people can figure it out, but there's a lot of training out there. There's a lot of very experienced yes. supervisors out there who can help you. So you don't have to figure it out on your own. Um, so I think that's the primary thing I would say for new supervisors is seek out your own support. Make sure you're getting the appropriate training, not only that's required, but that you, I, I'm going to use the word should, and I hate using the word should, but you know, but that you should get in order to provide really good supervision to others. Absolutely. I love that that was your tip. Because I think about that from the perspective of, you know, a lot of colleges or like grad schools require therapists to get their own therapy. So they have some experience in that. Um, A lot of people go through the process of being in the role before they take on the role, which I love. And that's a very normal business industry standard. Um, And clinicians, as we move into supervision, need to do the same thing. One of the things I hear all the time when I consult with other supervisors as they're getting ready to start their supervision in their practices or do whatever is, well, I have this really terrible supervisor, so that's why I want to be a good one. I'm like, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Have you been to a good one yet? 
Like, let's find you somebody so that you can really know what it's like to be a good one, not just do the opposite of what you had, because that's being a good one isn't the same as the opposite of a bad one. Um, like, you really do need to develop some new skills in that. And I love the idea of, like, normalizing across the board the supervision of supervision, of that that is something that we should all be in and, and a part of in our process to make sure that we're keeping up on how we're thinking about things. We're not getting into ruts about how we do things. We're not like, like just kind of sneaking by on, on the requirements of things and that we're really kind of keeping ourselves right in the good part of the game. Right. If you think about it, I mean, your learning as a, as a therapist and as a supervisor doesn't ever stop because when it stops, then you get stagnant and that's, and that's when you get burnt out. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really kind of a lifetime journey, which is the exciting thing for people like us who, who love to learn (laughs) and acquire new, new knowledge and new skills all the time. It can be a little exhausting at times because you're like, Oh my gosh. But you know, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. That's kind of the value of of ongoing professional development and education. Mm And, um, yeah, I mean, I've been a clinical supervisor for 15 years and I still get supervision of my supervision. Like it's still that important to me and I still miss things sometimes or don't have a great day or like just need some of that extra support, you know? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I love that. And I love that this little transition into burnout. Talk to me a little bit about burnout and, and your experience with helping people try and avoid it or navigate from it. Um, Yeah, I can go many different directions with this. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a a big topic right now. Um, So I'm guessing most people listening to this have experienced some form of burnout at some time or another. I certainly did. It was pretty significant for me. I quit what I thought was a career job in community Mm -hmm. mental health because I was so burnt out. And I was burnt out because I had had a very good supervisor who left. And she was replaced by a very bad clinical supervisor. So I actually think that was the main factor that caused my burnout. Um, And so that's why I like to link those two so, Mm -hmm. so, um, so tightly. Um, I was able to kind of take a break um, and get back into the, the counseling and mental health field, but it was, it was really eye opening for me, you know, um, in terms of what I, the type of support I wanted for the rest of my career, you yeah. know, and I really realized I, I just need good clinical supervision. And I, and that's one of the main things that helps me with burnout. I'm also very concerned after the past two or three years of the high levels of burnout. I read one study, Tara, that said, you know, prior to COVID, you know, maybe 25 to 30% of clinicians in the mental health field were experiencing symptoms of burnout. I mean, that's still pretty high, but it wasn't sure. alarming, you know, and after COVID, between 65 to 90% of oh, therapists. My. I know. And I was like, well, I don't know what those 10% are doing that are not burnt out after the past three years, but I'm just seeing record number of therapists and social workers and counselors leaving our field because they're so burnt out or taking on other jobs because they can't do any more clinical work. Um, And the need for our services is so high right now. Like we need you to stay in the field. And if you think about those years of education, the money you invested in your grad school program, program and undergrad and, and, and getting your license. And then, you know, all the professional development you did since then, and then you're leaving the field, like all your experience, all of your knowledge, you know, is being taken away and not being passed on. And that I don't love that either. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just really concerned about the high, high numbers of, of burnout. Um, and recently, um, I would say in general, but also recently. And I do, I do think clinical supervision and consultation maybe isn't the one answer, but it's certainly a significant answer. Because if yeah. you're getting the clinical, the clinical support you need, then you're continuing to provide high level quality of care to your clients. And you're really working to prevent some of that burnout. Absolutely. And that ripple effect is so vast. Like if I'm getting good clinical supervision for what I'm doing for my supervisees, and then they're able to take that good supervision and do well with their clients, it's just rippling down to, to being um, a way that we can all kind of get better and grow and do the things that we need to be doing. And that's uh, that connection between like, uh, a good supervisor, a good supervisor, supervisor, like relieving some of that burnout strain um, is is vital for our people to get the type of service that they need. Absolutely. And it's not the exact definition, but you're, it's kind of a parallel process, like you said. So if you're a supervisor, you're getting supervision of your supervision, that's going to help prevent your burnout, mm-hmm. you know, then you as a supervisor doing the supervision with your therapist, that's going to help prevent their burnout. Mm-hmm. Then the therapist is going to be able to provide really good care to their clients. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that it is a, a, a really important element for us to rec- to recognize that we're all connected. And as we are passing more information on and then they're passing information on to their clients or they're conceptualizing in some way, our supervisees are, are growing and getting better and changing the world. And that's uh, that's ultimately what we're hoping for is that everybody can find some peace and be able to not have so much um, kind of chaos, right, in their own brain and in their own little lives. Yeah, we kind of want to work ourselves out of a job. I don't see it happening, but yeah. we would love to. <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Well, tell me a little bit about how you decided to make this strategic move to opening up the supervision-focused business. So I'm a group practice owner. Um, I was a solo practice practitioner. And then about three years ago, I think three years, I'm so bad with timing, about three, three and a half years ago, I decided to bring on some some therapists, open my group practice. I now have six full-time therapists, a couple support staff, um, and myself. And the people that I brought on to my practice were colleagues of mine that I worked with before. Almost all of them were. And they were people that I had supervised and then had grown into becoming clinical supervisors themselves. So, you know, I had these three people on my team that I had supervised and that were now clinical supervisors. So we had a lot of supervisors who were doing both clinical work and some, but not a whole lot of of supervision work. And then about a year and a half ago, we, well, almost two years ago now, we were like, okay, well, we have all these supervisors. Like we love doing supervision. There's clearly a need in the community. Every state has different needs, but Colorado in particular, there's a uh, specified lack of LCSW supervisors in the state. Um, and so we were like, okay. And, and in Colorado, LCSW supervisors can oversee counselors and social workers who are working nice. towards citizens. It's not the same in every state, obviously. But we were like, okay, there's clearly a need in our community and our state for supervision services. Let's just, you know, put it out there. We'll put a page on our website that we provide supervision. Yeah. And then we did. And people started coming in. And we we're like, okay, we have enough now to do a group. Now we have enough to do a couple groups. Now we have enough to do uh, people are 
are asking us for a clinical consultation who are already licensed. And then agencies were contacting us, you know, hey, can you provide supervision or consultation to our solo practitioner who's the only counselor at our, you know, mental health agent or at, yes. at our public health or hospital or whatever. And so it just kind of grew bigger and bigger. And again, that just shows the need in the community for these services. And it just got too big to hold within our group counseling practice. So Absolutely. Um, yeah, so just in um, fall of, of 2022, we launched um, a completely separate supervision program called Firelight Supervision. And it has all of our supervisors. I've hired one or two since then also. And um, we're, it's really awesome. We provide kind of lifetime clinical support for therapists. So uh, we're not in all states, you know, you can only provide licensure supervision in the states you're licensed to. So we're only in Colorado, Washington, and Texas, um, and North Carolina as, as of this point. Um, but you can provide clinical consultation to anyone yes. once you're licensed. Um, and so we offer supervision. We offer individual and group supervision, agency supervision. It's all done online. So it makes it so much accessible for people yeah. who live in rural areas or don't have access to specialty supervisors. Um, we also provide individual and group consultation, clinical consultation for therapists, social workers, even psychologists who are already licensed. Yeah. We have really cool consultation groups that are really niched. Like we have a trauma one, we have a mind body one for therapists that work in, you know, somatic um, yeah. EMDR meditation kind of modalities. We have an HSP for, for therapists who are highly sensitive and identify that way. We have a consultation group for that. We have um, a consultation for neurodivergent therapists. So people who identify as neurodivergent Amazing. to kind of come together. Yeah. Um, so we have an addictions one, kids one, adult focus one. Like there's just lots of really cool groups that we can do. There's so many that we probably can't do because we don't have the expertise, but there's, there's right. <laughs> really cool ones that we can do. And then we also offer individual and group soup of soup, um, which is supervision of nice. your supervision. And I think the group component of that is really cool because you're coming together with other supervisors who are in similar stages of development as you are. Um, and I'm actually a big proponent of groups in general. Like we love groups. We have a strong group therapy component to my group practice. And then kind of in the supervision aspect, group supervision, group consultations, soup of soup groups are really, I just find the power in the group work yes. so amazing. You know, I, I think there's a lot of value in individual work. You can definitely dive deeper into issues and cases and, and stuff, but the group work can be so powerful in and of itself also. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of, um, that's kind of what we do and where we're at. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you, again, that superpower of that foresight of saying like, hey, there's a need here. What can we do to help meet that need? And then as you were seeing that need and, and facilitating it, you realize like this needs to be separate from my group practice. This this is growing to be its own thing. It's not just some branch of what we offer. It is a whole component on its own that that is sustainable and can, can grow into a lot of different ways. And I heard one key element that I always want like you know put a little flag by for people of like if you are not specializing in that area don't provide supervision for that area right like there are lots of things you're really good at do those things 
And if you want to provide that other service, find somebody who's a specialist in it and hire them and move in that direction. But don't provide supervision for things you don't know about. Know your limits. Absolutely. I think that is so true. I mean, I even have some of my therapists in my practice. We have a strong supervision component, but I have some of my therapists in my practice seeking outside consultation because they have a specialty area that we are not experts in. Yeah. Um, so I we 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 implement that also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would definitely say that. Yeah. And I love the element too of not being afraid, right? Like as a group practice owner, you are not afraid to say, yes, let's get supervision for this thing that you want to learn from somebody who's really good at that. I'm not, I don't feel like I have to compete. I don't feel like I have to go become this thing so I can be your all and everything. You're really allowing the community and the people who do those things well to help supplement and support your practice, which I love. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, you can't operate from a scarcity mindset, you know, we're supervision is about growing our field and preparing new, new, not only new therapists, but experienced therapists to be better at what they do. Yeah. And you have to be able to say, yeah, this is something that I don't feel competent in. Now, I think it is okay to say, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily specialize in that particular theoretical orientation, but I do think I can support you in your work. So I think you can say that also. There's definitely a balance there. Yeah, that's a great Mm -hmm. distinction. There's a difference between I know enough about this thing to be able to support you and help you as you're kind of growing in this thing. And you want to, you know, want to specialize in EMDR. I don't do EMDR. I know I know enough about EMDR to like help support you in this practice. But if you want to grow this skill, you're going to need somebody who also specializes in that to help you really blossom in that way. That distinction is so amazing to help new clinicians, new supervisees be able to say, I don't need to know everything. I know enough to be able to help in in a lot of ways. But when somebody's ready to really grow in a way, maybe we need to get some outside supports to do that. Yeah, exactly. I have an individual supervisee right now who's actually very experienced, but has not gotten his license yet. And he is much more knowledgeable than I in a few different kind of modalities, um, uh, solution-focused brief therapy and narrative therapy. And and while I have a strong background in in solution-focused therapy, narrative therapy is just not something I've really kind of, you know, done a lot of work in. And so being very upfront with him about that, but also knowing that he has the theoretical knowledge that he needs for that. What I can bring to him is exposure to other different modalities and saying, you don't have to practice just within these two. Here are some other ones. Um, so yeah, it, it, what you can bring to it as, as well as, you know, if you ever wanted to work with an expert, I would say he's close to expert level already. If you ever wanted to work with an expert to kind of continue on his journey with like narrative or solution focus, that's certainly something I would have no problem referring out for. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. In thinking about supervisor and supervisee fit, what are the things that you look for to, to know that like, yes, this is a good fit or maybe we need to switch things up and, and have somebody meet with someone else? Um, I think part of that is um, also a learning process because sometimes supervisees don't realize, the therapists don't realize they have a choice in who they choose. 
especially if you're working within an agency. Mm-hmm. You know, you may not have a choice as to who you choose as a supervisor, but in actuality, you really do have a choice. You know, you can elect to kind of find your own outside of where you work, maybe a little more cost intensive for you, but but there's definitely a choice. So us as supervisors need to educate like potential supervisees and like, hey, are you interviewing other supervisors? Like, here's the questions I need to ask you to know if we're going to be a good fit. What are the questions you need to ask me to know we're going to be a good fit? Mm -hmm. You know, I always look at, do you have experience with that population? Do you have experience with a theoretical orientation? Do the styles mesh? If you have someone who's very extroverted and outgoing as a supervisor, working with someone who's very introverted and used to be drawn out as a supervisee, that might not be a great fit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I, I always say, look at population, look at experience, look at supervisory training. Also, if you're choosing a supervisor, you want to make sure you have someone who who has some significant training and experience. Um, and then style also, I think, is really important. Did that did that answer your question? I'm absolutely. not sure I got all parts of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think that it is, I think that all of those areas are really important. And I love that you said um, for, for people, for us as supervisors to help again, guide and, um, and, and instruct them to, this is how you need to address supervision. When you come in to that first supervision meeting, here are some thoughts and things you might want to ask or things you might want to know. And you have the right to go talk to other people and interview other folks. And, and maybe you have to take that cost on yourself if the company's not going to pay for it or, or what have you. But like you have a right to get the supervision that you need. You don't have to settle for just something happening here. You want to be able to have this be a really awesome growing experience for you. Yeah. And I wish someone had told me that, me that when I was, you know, early on in my career, when I got that really bad supervisor, Mm -hmm. you know, I wish I had even thought that I had the option to look externally. Now, I will say that the second time that happened in my career, I did, and I did seek out additional external supervision, and it was incredibly helpful. (laughs) So I did learn my lesson. But, you know, you always hope that people don't have the same experience that you do. You know, so I, I would say to anyone listening, listening to this, like, know that you have that choice, you know, and if you don't know exactly what you're looking for, at least get as close as you can to someone who, who you like working with. Yeah, the, the, uh, the interpersonal fit is really important. And then, you know, layering in their education and their, their uh, theoretical orientation and how we're moving through some of the ways that we like to learn and grow. One of the types of supervisees that I love working with are people who haven't figured out their theoretical orientation yet. Because I'm a pretty resource-driven therapist and resource-driven supervisor, it's so much fun for me to be like, let's try this in your next session. You're going to go from this dynamic or, ooh, like, let's talk about how you feel like the agent of change works. Like, how do you see change happen in people? And having some of those level of discussions. When I meet with supervisees who've got a really clear kind of head on about what their theoretical orientation is, like, there is a little piece of me that's like, oh, I'm not really needed. And and it's not true. I am. I just have to change, you know, my perspective of what we're going to do in our sessions and how we're going to roll in those pieces. But as a as a therapist or as a supervisor and a therapist looking for who's going to be my right fit, the ones that bring me the most like joy and fun are the ones who are still exploring what their orientation is, because it's fun for me to help explore along with them and introduce them to so many new things. 
Yeah, I, that's so interesting when when you were talking about like who you love working with. And I think that's important for us as supervisors because we get that concept as therapists. Who do we, who, what's our niche? Who do we love working with? Therefore, who do we do our best work with as therapists? What should be the same as supervisors? You know, who do we love working with? And it's okay to say, I don't think we're going to be a good fit. And you know, if you have resources, here's some referrals for you. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's important because once you start a supervision um, relationship with someone, that could be two to four years of, of your life yeah. as a supervisor. And it's so, if it's someone you don't mesh with, um, it's going to be hard to get through. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It's, and, and that's again, such a, a important parallel process, right? Where we're able to talk through that with our supervisees and help them understand that like, not every client is going to be a good fit for you. Not every supervisee is going to be a good fit for me. And it's not a, a personal issue. It's really just a like, how do we want to spend our time? How are we doing those pieces? Because the more people that we work with that we're not good fits for, the closer we are to moving towards burnout, right? The Mm -hmm. more people that we work with that bring us joy and it's fun and it's interesting for us, the less we're leaning towards burnout. And the goal Mm -hmm. is to stay in this industry as long as we want to and continue to do the awesome work that we can do. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you're staying within the scope of your practice, you shouldn't be getting burnt out because that's your expertise area. That's what you know. It doesn't, it doesn't like feel like stuff is your soul is being sucked out of you. <laughs> yes. If you're doing that work. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. For sure. Well, is there anything else that we haven't kind of checked checked into on our questions that we want to like jump in for or anything else you want to make sure you kind of connect us with? Gosh, I feel like we've talked about a lot today. We um, have <laughs> I I think that just being really planful as a supervisor, how you want to, how you want your career as a clinical supervisor to go. So I think a lot of people get into supervision when they're like, oh, I'm burnt out with doing clinical work, you know, and that's not where you want to start as a supervisor. You want to start because you love doing clinical supervision and you're passionate about it and you like it and you're good at it. And that's where you want to start. You don't want to come from a place of like, this is the last resort, you know? Um, So I think just being planful about what do you want your career to look like in one year and two years and five years and 10 years as a clinical supervisor, you know, and it, it may change and grow. You may not know what you want it to look like in 10 years. You know, when I started doing supervision, you know, it was supervising interns was, you know, and, and pre-licensed therapists, which is interesting. You should really be doing that after you have a lot of experience, but, <laughs> but that's not how most people get started, no. <laughs> you, you, you know, and then you, you transition into providing consultation for, you know, intermediate and advanced level therapists. And then you transition into providing supervision of supervision, uh-huh. and, you know, so who, what do you want to, what do you want your kind of career and your development to look like? And just knowing you can't go from A to Z without doing like all, all the steps in between. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. I, when I do any type of business consultation or helping people set up different things, one of the first questions I ask them is like, tell me your why, why are you doing this? Tell me exactly what excites you about this and what's going on. And when I hear things like, well, I'm kind of burnt out doing the stuff I'm doing. So I'm trying to just mix it up. I go, well, let's hold up then. Because if you're just looking for something new and shiny, 
supervision of folks is probably not the thing yet. Like, I'm not going to discourage you from doing that ever, but like, maybe what you need to do is start a blog for right now, or like jump into something that is actually a little new and shiny because these, these folks that have um, intense needs as supervisees, we're not, we don't need to experiment on them yet. (laughs) Let's make sure this is really where you're headed and where you want to go because these folks deserve the absolute very best because the people that they're serving deserve the very best too. It's this trickle effect is huge. Um, And I love that part too, of thinking about your developmental journey, five, 10 years down the road. What, what is it that you want that to look like? What layers of things do you want to add and do in there? I think that could be a really great second question for me to start asking people is like, tell me, tell me the 10 year dream. Like, what does it look like when you are there? How are you navigating the different folks that you're seeing? What kind of folks are you seeing and helping them kind of devise this plan of, of where they're, where they're truly headed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I love that. And I'm so glad you're doing that work with people. Yeah. thank Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's give you a second to, to plug um, Firelight Supervision and tell us anything else that you'd like to know, how people can get in touch with you, um, what uh, what things are going to be um, you know helpful or necessary for them to uh, connect with you guys, and then uh, we'll wrap things up. Great. Thank you so much. So our website is probably the easiest and best way to get in touch with us. It's just firelightsupervision.com. And you will see all of our services listed. We have a page with all of our supervisors. You can schedule a free phone consultation with any of the supervisors. If you're interested in any of our clinical consultation groups or supervision of supervision, it lists like what supervisors provide what group and and those services, hopefully in a very easy way. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, just we would love to hear from you. We have we provide a lot of blogs. Also, we're we're putting out blogs once a week on different things related to to clinical supervision. Um, So, yeah, check it out. See if any of them would be helpful for you. We'd love to hear from you. Um, We also put out monthly trainings on different, uh, more related to clinical topics, I would say. Um, so we, we did one on assessment, one on diagnosing, we did one on, uh, DBT, uh, our November or one, I, I don't know when this, this is coming out, but November, 2022 is on money management for therapists, nice. you know, just different topics that people want to hear about, you know, and those are really low cost. Um, and it's online, it's virtual. And we send out the recording if you can't attend live. So there's a lot of different resources that, that we have that, that you can access. That is so amazing. I love even seeing how like Spiderweb, it's growing into lots of different ways that you can help therapists, supervisors, and people who are moving into consultation and, and all of that grow as, as clinicians, as business owners, and be really thoughtful about that process. It's wonderful. Oh, thank you. It's a bit overwhelming at times. <laughs> so much more to do. <laughs> I bet. I bet. All right, folks. Well, thank you so much for listening. I hope that this was a fulfilling morsel today. Uh, We will have links to uh, Firelight Supervision on our website. So feel free to uh, check them out straight from there. And uh, we look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you so much, Tara. Wasn't that a great episode? Shannon Hears and her program at Firelight are amazing. 
So your top two tips for takeaways today are to create a framework for supervision at the beginning of the supervision relationship. So take some time today and really think about what are the things that you need to make sure your supervisees are telling you about their clients in order for you to be able to give them your best, um, maybe uh, pull together view of what is going on with their client. So things you might wanna include are the name of the client, age of the client, demographics, culture of the client, uh, diagnosis, goals, any transference or counter-transference issues, creating that little cheat sheet to give to your supervisee to say, hey, from now on, anytime you present a client to me, I want you to present it in this way. I want you to tell me these things as you get started talking about the client. And then we'll follow up with questions like, what is your question about the client or what's coming up for you about the client when you take time to think about your relationship with them? And you can move forward from there. One of the strength points that Shannon talked about was that by creating that framework, it really makes sure that you're being brought back in to that client loop. Your supervisee lives in a space where that's their client and they keep all of those in mind. But we as supervisors may end up having a lot of clients in mind and a lot of them might have the same name or be in the, from the same culture. We want to make sure that we're really attuning back to what this particular client needs and especially what this supervisee wants to bring in about the client. I really resonated with the part when Shannon talked about um, maybe we need to take a step back as the supervisor and not try and answer a question that they haven't asked. Uh, that was really powerful to me. Uh, other tips for new supervisors. So this is takeaway number two. Other tips for new supervisors uh, that you can do today is to take stock of your supervision journey. So take 10 or 15 minutes today to list out all your supervisors from your history Think about what their credentials were. Think about your memory of those experiences. Think about the things that you want to bring to your work as a supervisor and what things you don't want to bring to your work as a supervisor. Maybe look through and identify any gaps of what you might need to know and then think about whether or not it would be beneficial for you to get some supervision of your supervision. If you could get somebody to help you repair some of those gaps, fill in some of those gaps so that you can be a better supervisor, maybe that's something to look into. One of the cool things about getting supervision of supervision when it's not required is that a lot of times there's no state line issues. So you may get the opportunity to be able to work with somebody from a different state or from a different place um, that maybe is better within your price range or has a specialty or thing that you would really like. So it's a really great opportunity to branch out a little bit. We don't get a lot of those opportunities in our field. But if you're interested in getting some supervision for yourself, you can check out Firelight Supervision's individual and group supervision programs. Their link is on our page and also on my website. All right, folks, I hope you got something great out of today and we'll see you next time. This has been Supervision Smorgasbord with Dr. Tara Sanderson. Please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find us at drterrasanderson.com backslash podcast and on all social media at Dr. Tara Sanderson. Thank you and we will see you next time.